that's like the dream for me that's the dream as an author yeah. <laughs> just have the writing and no one asks me any more questions uh except for this <laughs> <laughs> i do like talking to people so it's fine um it's fun. And welcome to Bosom. I'm Lucy Hicks Beach, and this is a podcast where I want to find out how women, non binary, and gender non conforming people have influenced and shaped our thoughts and lives. In a world where women's contributions are often disregarded, I want to learn more about how and how much they have impacted the people we are and the society we live in. To do this, I'm talking to guests about how people of marginalised genders have influenced their lives, identities, and understandings of the world. Today, I'm speaking to author and podcaster Marme Blue. Her novel, Bad Love, came out in 2020 as part of the collaboration between Jacaranda Books and Words of Colour, 20 in 2020, which focused on publishing 20 Black British authors in 2020. It was chosen as one of the Cheltenham Literature Festival's top debuts of the year and has recently been awarded the Betty Trask Award by the Society of Authors. She is also the co-host of podcast Headscarves and Carry-Ons, which focuses on the experiences of black women who live abroad. Hello, Mame, and thank you so much for coming to the bosom. No, no, thanks for having me. You've really kindly said that you'll read an excerpt from Bad Love to get us started. Is that all, is that all right with you? Yes, that is perfect. Happy to, to do that. Um, I'll just give people a premise of the book. Uh, so it's Bad Love tells the story of a queer who's a young woman who falls in love for the first time uh, and it doesn't meet any of her rigid expectations of course and it kind of follows her journey through the first relationship another relationship and then kind of how she views the relationships around her and it's also about how different forms of love can shape our identity and that's like familial love romantic love and love of place as well um so I thought I would read from a section where a queer goes out for a birthday dinner with her parents they come and get her from university and it's a surprise uh, for her because they they're not really uh, communicative with each other <laughs> so um she's surprised that they come so <clears throat> my father began to pick a newly formed scab on the back of his hand until my mother noticed and gave him a reproachful look He stopped immediately, and then they both turned towards me in unison. Your mother and I were talking about our trip to Venice to see your Uncle Charlie this summer, but I've got some students to tutor now, and your mother will be teaching a summer class to junior GPs for three months. My father watched as my face dropped. I couldn't hide my disappointment. I had been looking forward to the trip all year. We we rarely went away, and when we did, it was always to some long-distant relative with no one my age around to even share my boredom with but my favourite cousin, Amelia, was in Venice. My father gave me a reassuring smile and continued, but we were thinking, you're an adult now, so instead of cancelling the trip entirely, suddenly his words trailed off and he stared past me to another table, squinting as if to see something far away. Ah, Virginia, is that you? Jeannie! He was shouting across the room at a woman sat with two other people. I glanced at my mother, whose eyes were wide, so that all you could see were the whites and a dot of her people. The woman my father was now frantically waving at was of chestnut-skinned beauty, with long black braids, wearing a green wrap dress and heels. To say that she was stunning would be an understatement. I could not see the faces of her two companions, but she finally located my father with her own eyes and immediately jumped out of her seat to rush over to us. When she reached our table, she and my father didn't embrace as I had expected. Instead, they stood looking at each other for what felt like an endless moment. 
It was as though an invisible wall had stood between them, and I suspected it was probably my mother. The woman, Jeannie, shook my father's hand awkwardly, and he held on to hers with both of his, unable to suppress his smile. Ah, Jeannie, look at you. Can you believe this, Chrissy? He looked down incredulously at my mother where she was sat, still stunned. Eventually, he let go of Jeannie's hand as my mother stood up, and to my utter surprise, she and Jeannie hugged each other warmly. Then my mother stepped back and tapped me on the shoulder so that I, too, jumped to my feet. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> uh, just, as a, just as a taster, you know, a very key moment in the book that you will know about if you read it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I... I was just such a huge fan of the book. My friend gave it to me for my birthday last year. Uh-huh. And what I loved about the book, mm. and specifically a queer, is that she's so likeable in the fact that she is kind of thoughtful and clever and mm. ambitious, but she's also flawed in kind of all of those things in a way that is, as somebody in their early 20s, is very recognisable and relatable but it's also, it's never to her huge detriment or her downfall. Because often female characters in books and in films are put into these categories of either being, of these, these very fixed categories of mm. either being very kind or evil or damaged or incredibly powerful. And that quality is definitive of everything that happens to them. Yeah. And Equia is much truer in her nuanced experiences of like her relationships and her emotional reactions to things. Yeah. Um, which is what I really loved. This is a very long-winded question. Right. <laughs> but, um, I was wondering how you went about creating a character like that. I I was inspired in, in starting the book that I didn't you know, know was going to be a book. Uh, I just mm. wanted to write a story about all the conversations that I had had in my early, mid-twenties and my experiences and girlfriend's experiences of just dating and being young and figuring yourself out. And most importantly, kind of the relationships that help to kind of form you and shape you. I think Mm. I've always been really, really interested in the different impact that people have on you. And um, I wanted to kind of incorporate that into the book in the way that every new person that a queer interacts with kind of slightly changes the direction that she takes. Uh, in her life and who she becomes and I think I feel like I found I just find that really interesting and, and definitely had that experience when I was in yeah. my in my 20s uh, and a queer is, is not me <laughs> but you know of course there are real elements there are elements in, in how she feels or, or like her expressing of emotions that is drawn from like you know experiences that I've had that people I know have had that kind of thing and so it's, it's fueled by a real that kind of internal thinking that you have. And again, you are in your early 20s, so you can tell me you know this better than me. <laughs> but at least that internal thinking that I had, which was very much always, always questioning and never completely sure yeah. <laughs> of doing the right thing or you get older, you learn there's no such thing as the right thing. It's just the choice. <laughs> there is such a thing as the wrong thing, obviously, like don't hurt anyone, but you know, <laughs> intentionally. But um, in the grand scheme of like decisions you make about your life, it's just about, it's whatever path you choose to go on. But I wanted that kind of insecurity and that kind of constant like doubts to kind of fuel her. And it's funny to me that you say that you like her because a lot of people are like, oh, she's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, you you should have read the first draft. She was more annoying than she she is now. But necessarily so. Like I'm I'm glad that some parts of her uh, people like. So that's good. I think maybe why I do like her 
is those insecurities that potentially some people might find annoying, which I probably have, that people find <laughs> those annoying in me. <laughs> um, and also what you were saying about mm. that, you, that you were thinking about the fact that she's very influenced by everybody that she meets. Because that's kind of the essence of this podcast and the conversations I've been having is I'm really interested in that as well. And like how different figures in different places do really influence the people yeah. that you are, especially in your funny times in your mid twenties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and it's necessary. I feel like it's a, it's necessary to help shape you become. Like I think, like there's like two major romantic relationships for a queer in the book, and I think there is something about being in a whether it's a close friendship or romantic relationship, or even you know with a parent or, or you. They bring out different bits of yourself mm-hmm. um, and so it's I felt I felt it necessary to give her those contrasting relationships with two quite different uh, men in this case mm-hmm. uh, whilst also looking at the other relationship or the relationship of her parents mm-hmm. and how that brought out other bits of her as well and then I feel like you get this kind of smorgasbord of experiences and feelings that yeah. you can that you then have to pick apart and be like okay which which part of this is the most me Um, you know and that's okay Uh, but I feel like that has to come that comes with interacting with other people yeah for those people listening um if you haven't read Bad Love I would really recommend it it was one of my favorite books I've read for ages oh Um, thank you (laughs) I'd love to move on now to talking about the figures of influence that you've chosen and what I've tasked you to do before Mm -hmm. this podcast is to pick five women non-binary or gender non-conforming people who've impacted you in some way shape or form and these have come from five categories that are a childhood or teenage icon a fictional character somebody who is no longer alive somebody that you've never met and somebody that you know personally yeah Um, and we're just going to go through and talk about each one and see where the wind takes us (laughs) (laughs) does that sound all right to you that sounds good yeah amazing So the first person I'd love to talk to you about is your childhood or teenage icon. And you have picked Missy Elliott. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about Missy Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> um, very embarrassingly, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I, like, I wanted to be Missy Elliott. Uh, I mean, didn't everyone? Uh, I have no zero rap skills. So let's start with that. There was no like imitating in that way. It was more just like... <laughs> the fashion of the time of the early <laughs> early 2000s which was very like khaki trousers and timberland <laughs> and like a kappa hat it was it was embarrassing however at the time I thought it was really cool uh I just loved her as well because she was so I think it's also one of those things I think or at least I find with your childhood heroes when you look back as an adult you know you see more clearly like what was it about that person that was so like inspirational to me that I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time. Just like, Oh, I like this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, like she was, I mean, you know, she's innovative. She was one of the few women in hip hop at the time who was consistently putting out stuff and doing really well. She was just, she was, you know, fun and very, I felt very like uh, confident in herself. And yeah. definitely for me, as like a young young black girl like seeing having that and you know we say it all the time but that represent that representation was very important to me in a way that I didn't even realize it was important until much later yeah um, seeing like a kind of curvy like black woman who like 
owned herself, owned her like sexuality, she owned her desires and she rapped about that and she collaborated with women, lots and lots of, so many women, like she was virtually such a big like collaborator, you know, yeah. not, um, which was also when I look back now actually quite refreshing at the time. Yeah, yeah it, I wanted to emulate her um, yeah. and the level of self-confidence that she seemed to portray, like mm. I wished that I had as a young teenage girl at the time. What were you like at the time that you were <laughs> listening to it? Because I think this is something that I've loved talking to people about mm. is the person that they were in comparison to the person that their childhood or teenage icon was. Yeah, I was very shy. <laughs> <laughs> I was good at pretending I wasn't. And I always had I always had friends, but I was very I never like would talk about myself. Like I was very much the friend who knew everyone else's stories mm. like I was that I was very yeah I was very shy I was very introverted uh I mean I'm still those things I just very well practiced at <laughs> <laughs> not peering that way yeah and I wasn't I did I was not confident <laughs> in myself at all I was away with the fairies a lot of the time I was <laughs> I'll be classic writer uh yeah I was a lot of making stories up in my head kind of person what do you think that being a young black woman in London who's also very shy and creative, what do you think is the effect of, of looking up to somebody like Missy Elliott, who was so confident and confident in collaborating with women and celebrating herself? Ultimately, it's kind of, it just gives you, or gave me uh, something to not aspire to, because I didn't, again, I didn't want to be a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> but that level of confidence, it gave me something to see, like, oh, I could... I could be that confident when I get older. Mm. I could I could feel that good about myself, or at least how she appears. You know, she was an entertainer, and I'm sure, like personally, she has obviously her own issues and stuff. But the way that she the way that she presented to the world was very inspiring. Yeah, it made me feel like I could be that. I could be that uh, confident in whatever it is I want to do. I could be that creative, and people could love me. You know, I could be a bit weird, and people could love me. I think that for me was like that was kind of massively impactful. Mm. This actually might be completely off the mark, but they, mm. um, in the book, a queer is a poet and there's yeah. she's involved in a circle of friends who do a lot of spoken word poetry. Mm. Are you a poet? I, think. <laughs> I, um, I used to fancy myself a poet. <laughs> That's about as far as it goes. I love, you know, I love poetry. And that is, it comes across very clearly in the book. Like spoken word, I think, I've seen spoken word in a few countries now mm-hmm. and I would and for me London is still one of the best places really in my you know humble opinion yeah. <laughs> for spoken word and just new and just the way that it's it's grown and it's kind of fostered is really quite a beautiful thing to see yeah but because I have a strong love for it there was a period of time where I was doing spoken word many many years ago I was not very good <laughs> <laughs> I'm better at writing the words on the page. I'm not great at the performing bit, but I'm a big, big fan of it. Because there's like, I don't know, because you can like look at rap and poetry in like mm. quite similar, in quite a similar way. I don't Definitely. know. I, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I was, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, rap is, what is it? It's just rhythm and poetry. Like that's, yeah. that's what it is. So yeah, it's, it's exactly, it's poetry in its own form. I still love it. I'm not like, I couldn't tell you who like any of the latest... <laughs> <laughs> rappers are could not could not for the life of me pick them out of lineup however <laughs> but I'm a fan yeah I'm a fan of anything that plays around with words to be honest uh across across the board I, I was listening to something that you were talking about and just thinking about like your interest in words you were saying on 
it might have been your podcast that when someone describes something to you mm. you don't see it you imagine the essence of it and so when you're writing you use words to describe experiences and feelings rather than just like visual description exactly um, <laughs> um I would just love to know a bit more about that because <laughs> I also I don't really like reading description in a book which is I don't mm. know if that's a really controversial thing to say but I think that's probably one of the things I liked about your book um I I don't, I don't, I don't think I don't think that's that controversial I think I also don't I mean I don't like description <laughs> I don't like too much books <laughs> either which obviously may be why I don't write it also there's a name for it um for that thing where you can't see images yeah uh, and you can only get a sense of something but apparently I'm in the minority if you if I said to you red car can you picture a red car? Yeah, I, I can picture a red car. <laughs> I, I, I cannot. I can picture like a kind of blurry outline of a red car and like I, the idea of a car. <laughs> I don't know why, it's just how my brain works. That's <laughs> and so I can, interesting. I, I discovered like the last few years, it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, so that's also why I don't like writing too much description or reading it. I get the strongest sense of things. That's so interesting. <laughs> Do you think that comes across in the way you write at all? Uh, I think so. I mean, I'm my like as a reader, you know, and I'm a big reader. I I love books that have a lot of sweeping emotion, complicated or complex kind of feelings, and I like to write about that kind of stuff as well. So the, the description of a of a scene with a character all stems from how they feel. You know, it's all told through the lens of how they are perceiving what's happening around them, rather than yeah, I'm not going to describe to you the the height of a door or where the you know the light switch is um yeah. <laughs> that's so fascinating um i'd love to move on now to your mm-hmm. next figure of influence a fictional character and you have picked ariel from the little mermaid <laughs> okay well when you asked me like a fictional character i was i i went through the rolodex in my mind of all the, like the books i've read that i've loved mm-hmm. but actually somebody I would like to sit down with and have a conversation <laughs> with uh, and, and this is let, let me be specific it's based on a specific period of time so The Little Mermaid uh, obviously the Disney version was the first Disney film I ever saw and that was on VHS you know like these don't exist anymore <laughs> <laughs> and it was my like my first like oh this is you know my video that belongs to me you know, I must have been like five. Yeah. <laughs> like, I watched it over and I mean, I watched that film so many times. I know all the words. I know like it's imprinted in my brain. And <laughs> and I was impacted by it as a child. I, that was like my entry into everything Disney. And yeah. I had a very you know fantastical idea about, you know, being saved and a prince coming and <laughs> all these unhealthy <laughs> things that do not translate into adult life. Um, and at the time, I was very much into that fairy tale ending idea. You yeah. know, and the little moment was my first kind of intro into that. But actually, as an adult, I would like to sit down and have a conversation <laughs> with Ariel about her choices. Uh, and obviously, she was, also she was young; she was supposed to be like sixteen or something. Like yeah. Story. She's like a young woman. It's very yeah, exactly problematic. And obviously, I guess <laughs> maybe that's why it's controversial. You know, you could unpick, and I'm sure someone's done it on YouTube already. So many layers within that whole film. It was either like either the sea or land, like you know, <laughs> it was like leaving her whole family 
to go and marry this dude or be forever there and unhappy. I just find that fascinating. (laughs) Um, And so that's, it's more impactful for me as a child because it started that narrative of like happy ever after and this is what it means and you're going to be saved or, 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 or sacrifice everything, including your voice for this love or whatever, or this idea of love, let's be honest. But actually as an adult, I feel like it, the film raised a lot of cogent points. I also feel like, you know, the star of that film really is Ursula, let's be honest. Yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> exactly. No doubt. Um, <laughs> no doubt. She says a very cogent, makes some cogent points that people miss, I think. But for more, that was, yeah, it's more of a nostalgia. Yeah than a, a person who I think now is inspiring. <laughs> yeah, just like clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm of an opinion that Ariel, all she ever wanted to do was be on the land and she yeah. did what she had to do. Um, <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, her father just said she had to marry someone like all her other sisters. And yeah. actually what she did was make a choice. And mm. um, she sacrificed her voice for her rights to choose <laughs> I love fair that. play Ariel yeah, fair play that's true that's a good point <laughs> um do you still have that same love of fairy tale romance I uh you know what I still have that love for Disney yeah like Disney films yeah you'll still find me watching them yeah. <laughs> there's there's a level of comfort mm-hmm. so I, I really like that I used to read a lot of romance when I was growing up like when I was a teenager again probably for that same reason but now I'm much more attracted to books that don't have a happy ending and they don't end up together like I love it when it's much more complex and nothing really works out there's two sides to me like <laughs> <laughs> these days yeah I think there's room for both yeah both of those sides of things Agree. And it is so appealing when you're younger, the idea mm. of being swept away by a prince. I mean, would I, would I say no now? I don't know. <laughs> so we're going to move on now to your third figure of influence, who is somebody who's no longer alive. And mm. you have picked Aretha Franklin. It's funny because I, I struggled with this one because... Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, funnily enough, a lot of, oh, well, a couple of men came to mind, which is interesting, who had obviously passed away. Uh, and I was like, hmm, why is that? I should explore that. Uh, but <laughs> um, I chose Aretha Franklin because I don't actually know too much about her life, like apart from little bits and pieces. I know mm. she had a difficult, quite a, it, feel, it seems like a difficult life and she was in some horrible marriages, but it all was kind of like channeled into her music. And I think... There's that thing that we call like soul, which is very hard to, you know, you can't, it's very hard to quantify. And it sounds so cliche, but it's like you have it or you don't have it, you know, (laughs) especially if it's coming to, if you're coming talking about singing. And I think there's just this level of depth that she just translates, which is all, all the pain and all the emotion is just in her voice. And I, there's very few artists that I, kind of listen to that 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 sound like that in fact and in fact obviously she began in a kind of gospel way and that's uh you know very much the kind of music I grew up on mm-hmm. um and I I still listen to gospel music even though I'm not necessarily a church goer anymore because there's this level of like there's a depth of humanity that it reaches that is really hard to replicate yeah mm. so I find that with Aretha like yeah, if I'm having like a day and I just want to like, oh, like sit in, sit in a feeling. <laughs> yeah. I'm to Aretha Franklin. And I would, yeah, I would love to like, 
as as would I'm sure millions of people <laughs> sit down and meet her and 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 sit down with her and I don't know just ask her about her life and like try to get some some life lessons from her <laughs> yeah 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 it's amazing I guess with kind of artists in lots of different ways but it mm. is often very specific to musicians mm. this ability for someone listening to the music to be able to feel like they're having their feelings expressed yeah by someone not even that they haven't met but someone that's no longer alive mm. um do you think that's applicable to other kinds of art uh I think so yeah I think I think yes I think like across the board like you know art is is subjective mm-hmm. um you know some people you know that's why we have all these different genres of music and but I I think that that same level of like translation of feeling whatever feeling it is like I think is very possible in across mediums like that's me as some as somebody who who writes and has written a book and and that's my main hope I just even if you if you hate it it still made you feel something yeah that's like the highest compliment that someone could pay me they've read something and either it's made them incredibly angry or, <laughs> or it's made them you know feel something that they weren't expecting and that means I've done I've done the job I wanted to do which is to make you feel something mm-hmm. you know yeah like those are the books I love the books I read that are kind of like oh god like <laughs> kind of leave you with this breathless feeling and and mm-hmm. it, whether or not that is the writer's intention for this particular part that's, that's not the point it's that you felt something for me that's like the highest compliment yeah yeah um kind of going back to Aretha Franklin and music and you sitting in an emotion mm-hmm. when you're writing mm. or maybe not even doing the writing but coming up with ideas do you ever listen to music uh yeah all the time (laughs) I I have a playlist actually for bad love Um, really yes on Spotify uh that I'm happy to share Uh, (laughs) yeah um, it's a playlist of the songs that I was listening to when I was writing it basically and that kind of influenced it because I the songs like music definitely it puts me in a there's like a certain mood if I know I'm trying to get into okay I'm going to listen to this or or I've got something on shuffle and this song comes on, I might play that song on repeat because mm. I want to sit in that mood when I'm writing a certain scene or a certain chapter or something. So like music is a massive, a massive influence on what I write, like how it flows, that kind of thing. That's really cool. I'd love to have a listen to it. Yeah, well, I'll share it with you. I'll put it in the podcast notes. <laughs> Great, yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We're going to go on now to your fourth person, who is somebody that you've never met. And you have picked Eleanor Ferrante. Ah, oh, she's like an inspiration. Uh, I, I first read her book, My Brilliant Friend, mm-hmm. years and years ago. A friend of mine, it was a friend of mine. I had a friend give it to her. I was like, you should read this. And then she was like, oh, you should read this. She hadn't read it yet. And she was like, you should read this. She's like, you read faster than me. Just finish it. And then I'll give it back to me. <laughs> um, and I just devoured this book. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to read the next installment. And for those who don't know, like, it's a four novel series called The Neapolitan Novels. And each book is a standalone book. Like, you you don't have to read them all in session. But it, I recommend you do. Uh, if you like My Brilliant Friend, you're going to like the rest. But it And it's basically like the course of two women's lives over these four books and it's like I think it's Italy like Naples in like the 50s or something and it's it's just I just oh like I'm such a fangirl like if I, <laughs> I just love the way that she writes like the way that 
I had never read up until that point, I never read such a great depiction of female friendships mm. until I read all those books. It's so hard because it's so hard to quantify. It's so specific. You know, if you're a woman, you've got female friendships, you'll know exactly what it is. Like I think mm. you're kind of recognizing yourself and you follow these women from, you know, from their very young through to adolescence and then early 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Like it's, you know, so there's all these different stages of life interwoven throughout this friendship that's full of competition and it's complicated but there's like a lot of adoration and love there and mistakes. And it's just, I feel like just masterpiece (laughs) of writing. And and she also, she's very like, I feel like she's very poetic also as a writer. And again, as I said, I love poetry. Mm. Um, And I think her writing is very much, it's very insular. Like you're very like in her head. Like you feel like it's happening to you. At least that's how I felt when I was reading them. But one of my favorite things about Elena Ferrenta is that's not her real name. And <laughs> the author, you know, she writes under a pseudonym. Mm. And I don't care to know who she is. Like, I don't care. The only thing, because she doesn't do interviews. It's just her books. That's it. <laughs> wow, I didn't know you that. Wanna, yeah, she's like, you want to know about me? Here's her books. I think now that she's quite, you know, her books are international bestsellers. She, she's done a few, you know, she do like essays and things like that. But nothing like, you're not going to sit, you're not going to see her in a, a, a video interview or going and sitting down with talk show hosts or anything. And I think some people do know who she is, but again, yeah, for me, it's kind of like Banksy. It doesn't really matter, does yeah. it? Like, <laughs> I like your work and that's like the dream. For me, that's the dream as an author. Yeah. <laughs> Just have the writing and no one asks me any more questions, uh, except for this. <laughs> I do like talking to people, so it's fine. Um, this is fun. But, you know, yeah, like that kind of just putting the work out and having it speak for itself. There's something I just find that so uh, inspiring. I love that. So, like, I would like to meet her, but maybe I wouldn't because then it would ruin it for me. <laughs> That's amazing. I had no idea about that. Mm. That's interesting in comparison to your choice of Missy mm. Elliott, who yeah. you kind of looked up to in her like expression of herself. I love that you can have these different people that you look up to in very different ways. Mm. Um, yes. Do you think that as as an author, when you write, are you consciously ever influenced by other authors and the way they write? I think I yeah I I think I am because I'm I am a big reader mm-hmm. and I know some people like some authors and writers don't like to read anything else when mm-hmm. they're writing because they don't want to be influenced by you know accidentally or subconsciously influenced by something else they've read you know that's the, the opposite for me like if I'm right if I'm working on something I like to stop and switch my mind around to someone else's story that helps me for me it's like a brain switch off yeah but I'm definitely I would say like reading yeah Elena Ferrenta like massively inspiring especially because the way that she wrote was so it felt so personal and it felt like she was just talking to herself. And I thought, oh, I didn't know you could write like this. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know that was allowed. Yeah. It kind of felt like that a little bit. And, and that definitely helped me kind of experiment a little bit with how I was writing and definitely had a big impact on the kind of writer I have become mm-hmm. in terms of, yeah, my direction, my voice as a writer as well. Um, but for me, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take away. Like, I feel like it's, it's more just like a positive influence, like rather than, oh, I feel like I need to imitate this person. For me, it's just inspiring. Yeah. All just kind of rolls around in my head. And then I come out with what, what is my version of <laughs> whatever I'm writing. But for me, reading other things while I'm writing is really, I love doing that. It doesn't take away from me. It helps to switch my brain around. Yeah. Mm. That's kind of like a, a micro version of the way that you've spoken about 
a queer and the char- and mm. building her character in the idea that she's the culmination of the relationships and the people yeah. that she's experienced. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to hear you say that about, yeah, mm. about the way you write. Um, yeah, absolutely, I, I agree. <laughs> So we now come to your final person that you've chosen. And this is somebody that you know personally. And you have picked your friend, Elizabeth Bananuka. I have. Tell us all about Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is a badass. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, that should be just her, like, (laughs) her quote under her name at all times. She is a, like, a PR and communications expert consultant mm-hmm. with who's been in the industry for a long time and she in the last oof, I'm gonna test me now <laughs> five years last four or five years she has basically made it her mission to help upcoming aspiring established comms and PR people who are people of color who are mm-hmm. you know, black Asian mixed ethnic minority people in the UK who are working in PR and communications and she's got this organization it's called BME PR Pros that she ran a mentoring scheme for about three years I think and pairing them with like more established PR comms helping them throughout the industry and that kind of thing and she's won all these awards and she's incredible Mm -hmm. and she's just started like this whole initiative called Blueprinted where she kind of uh, essentially it's like a diversity mark for PR and communications agencies that are actually working to diversify their staff, diversify the work they do, champion representation, be better. Mm. And it's funny because if you're not in the comms and PR industry, which I'm not, <laughs> um, you don't really know any of this, but it's one of those industries that is also overwhelmingly white mm-hmm. in the UK. And despite lots of you know black and brown people who really would like to be in it, or who are in it and aren't kind of progressing in the way that they should be and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and they're just like, they are, they're the people behind everything that is communicated in the media, you know? Mm-hmm. They have, they're very powerful. Yeah. And so you've got more diverse people at the table, you've got my diver- more diverse voices, you have more diverse messages and more representation. So, you know, simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> but she's, yeah, she started this whole thing herself and she's just worked with, she's just found all these incredible people and, She's just doing really good work. She's very inspiring. Like, and I, we've been friends for a long time and she's always, always, always been like a real big, she's just a natural cheerleader anyway for all the people that she loves and the people that she knows who are doing good work. And she has always been a big champion of mine and of my writing and always kind of spurred me on when I was like, not taking it serious as I am <laughs> taking it now. <laughs> and like, no, you should do that. Go and do that thing. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Kind of that kind of friend. Um, I'm always like a bit astounded that we're friends because I'm like, she's like up here and I'm like just puddling along. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, I had to like mention her as one of my favourite people. Oh, it's so important, those friendships where mm. you, it sounds like you both champion each other and like each other's cheerleaders, um, yeah. each other's soccer mums. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is the, um, and you spoke about the importance of mentorships for people of colour in the PR industry mm. on a larger scale. When you're entering the PR industry or, or any industry, actually, mm. what do you think is the importance of having somebody who looks like you or somebody who's had similar experiences to you as someone to look up to and get advice from? Um, I mean, I think it's it's similar to what I said about, you know, my looking up to uh, Missy Elliott, yeah. you know, when I 
I didn't know her. I didn't, I didn't interact with her anyway, but it still had such an impact. It's just that very, yes, that very simple term of like, you have to see it to be it. Mm-hmm. I've found, you know, in my other life as a kind of project manager in kind of nine to five life, <laughs> outside of being an author, I have worked with organizations, let's say that we're working with uh, youth employment and you know, getting kids into into work and getting them ready for the world of work and how to make that easier and that transition and, and and how the things that children think about themselves is going to impact what they aim for. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're a kid and your parents and your parents' friends and your aunts and your uncles, they are, let's say, uh, nurses, social workers and care workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as you know, in your microcosm of the world, those are jobs that you know about because you see people do them yeah so you might be more likely to aspire to for those jobs yeah then you might go to school and and suddenly you meet a I don't know an IT manager or a finance manager or a a doctor or a physiotherapist or just a whole range of jobs yeah and you see someone and and they and they kind of look like you maybe they have a similar background and you feel like oh maybe I can do that job Mm. as well it's very small but it, it it makes such a big difference. It's, it's literally like being a kid, reading a book and seeing yourself in the characters. It can be life-changing in terms of the journey that you take or how wide your world is. And I think the same can be said exactly for any industry, whether it's comms or PR, if you're entering an industry and you've got somebody that actually, that takes you under their wing and is like, I've been through this before. I have a similar background to you, or I have experienced probably similar things to you because of the structure of race yeah. in the country uh, that we live in. And so I am going to take what I've learned. I'm going to help you navigate that. And having that come from somebody that, yeah, looks like you, that can relate to you maybe on a cultural level, can be just as impactful in helping you to figure out what your next steps are um, because you see this other person already doing it. And I think it's hard if you've only ever seen yourself, it's hard to imagine what that also doesn't look, what that looks like when you haven't Mm. as well. I think a lot of people struggle with that. So yeah, I just think it's important. I think it's important for the black and brown people who are being mentored, who are seeing other black and brown people in higher positions in this comms and PR industry, as an example, and also for their white colleagues to see that as well, um, to see this diversity of staff and ability and skill. Mm. <laughs> um, and to be like, oh, well, what can I do also to help more people <laughs> yeah. get into the industry that looks like my neighborhood? Do you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, from like very small actions at an individual level, it can have kind of huge yeah. effects. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also really love that you've chosen, I love talking about people who are not like famous people, mm. because your way you are inspired by your friends is so different to how you're inspired by people like Missy Elliott or Ellen Fante, yes. because they have such a direct impact on your life and an investment in you you kind of mentioned it in terms of her giving you confidence in your writing but Mm. do you think the way that she treats you and the way that you interact has an impact on how you perceive yourself and treat yourself uh definitely Mm. yeah definitely like since we we met and we used to work together a long time ago she's always felt like somebody who saw something in me that I didn't see myself Mm. and has kind of always pushed me towards getting closer to seeing that uh so not just like inspiring and not kind of, not just like, oh, uh, just do it like how I would do it. She's not that person at all. She's a, I'm going to push you towards being the best version of yourself. Yeah. You know, go do that thing or go take the opportunity or, you know, don't think about it 
in this negative way like maybe it could be this maybe it could be that you know she was always kind of pushing me towards opportunities that I didn't see myself as opportunities and without that little push like maybe I wouldn't have gone to the next thing and the next thing uh and she and I'm very sure that she has no idea (laughs) she she wasn't thinking that at all she was just like I was just telling my friend (laughs) I was just talking to my friend like she's not thinking about it like that I think which is also what makes her so inspiring she's not trying (laughs) um at all it's really it is honestly like yeah you know there's a few you know there's like uh, a handful of or or, well not even a handful there's very few people I think in the world that you come across who are like that and I feel like very fortunate that I get to like call her a friend as well I'm back practically gushing I'm gonna be so embarrassed if she hears this but here we are (laughs) I think it's great um that also goes back again to what you said about the that people can have a huge impact without necessarily even knowing that you Mm. someone can say one thing that might have been an offhand comment that can change the way that you perceive that your day or your your self or your life (laughs) yeah um thank you for talking about that no problem um that brings us to the end of our conversation thank you so much I've loved this Um, (laughs) me too thank you thank you for having me on it's a great conversation that was you made me think a lot (laughs) (laughs) good I was feeling a bit bad when I asked people to be on the podcast I'm like kind of podcast I'm like and also if you could do some real (laughs) (laughs) self-analysis who's impacted you Um, (laughs) that was a good exercise (laughs) And yeah, I can't wait to read your next book. And oh. every single person should read Bad Love. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. And I, I, I should say, because I'm terrible at plugging. Oh, yeah, go. <laughs> uh, well, there is, I mean, I have a story in an anthology that just came out last week. Uh, it's called uh, Not Quite Right For Us. And it's, um, there's like 40 writers in this anthology. Um, some really big names um, I'm not including that <laughs> um, but some really great stories it's like essays stories uh, poetry about kind of this 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 idea of not quite right for us and that comes in many forms um, but I just thought I should tell people about it because it's really good I'm reading it I know I'm in it but <laughs> separate to me it's genuinely it's really like a really it's really really good really great collection of writing in there oh amazing I'll get on that straight away not quite right for us yeah. um, that's it Incredible. Thank you so, so much. Um, And can't wait to see what you do next. Talking to Marmate was so much fun and it was so great to chat to somebody whose work I admire so much. Thank you to her for making time for our conversation. And as usual, thank you to Ali and Helly Shilson for their beautiful music. And thank you to Sophie Kamlish for her wonderful designs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it, do come back for more. And if you really liked it, feel free to leave a very friendly review.